going on, everyone? My name is Jamon McKinney, or you can just call me Juice because that is my nickname. Welcome, everyone, to the Juice Alert episode number 33 for you, ladies and gentlemen, today. If you have not subscribed to the Juice Alert already, be sure to do that right about now. You will not regret it. You can find me on YouTube, obviously, as well as podcasting platforms. That includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that great stuff. If you're listening on podcasting platforms, consider leaving me a good rating and review. It definitely helps me out. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button right about now. It definitely helps me out as well. Or if you dislike what I have to say, hit the, hit the dislike button if you disagree with me, okay? I can take the heat, all right? But today, folks, we have a great show lined up today. 12 NFL topics covered today. Really, actually, 11 NFL topics. We have one college football topic to discuss today. I will, I will discuss and give my predictions at the end of the show for... The two college football playoff semifinal games. Unfortunately, guys, I'm not going to be predicting all the New York Six Bowl games just because I'm recording the episode the day of the Florida and Oklahoma game. I kind of felt that'd be weird to get this out to you guys when the Florida Oklahoma game was already probably going to be over or at least going to be going on. Um, it takes a while to edit these episodes. It takes a while for me to, you know, get get things processed, get this get this show out to you guys. So unfortunately, sorry, I'm not going to be predicting um, all the New Year's Six Bowl games, but I will give you my predictions for the two official college football playoff games, uh, Clemson and Ohio State and Notre Dame versus Alabama. But also today, lined up on the show, we're going to talk about Dwayne Haskins. You know, he got released by the Washington football team. What's next for Dwayne Haskins? We'll talk about Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. It's been a while since I've talked about the Seahawks, so that'll be a very interesting um, topic to cover. We'll talk about Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers quarterback situation. We'll talk about Trevor Lawrence. A little bit later in the show. A lot of great stuff to talk about. But before I do get into the show, I want to say you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My Instagram is G-H-I-M-A-N underscore M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y. And my Twitter account, you can find me at G-H-I-M-A-N M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y. And also, if you want to follow the Twitter account to get Updates in regards to the show, you can do that. The Twitter account is at the Juice Alert, and the Instagram account for the Juice Alert. If you want to get updates on Instagram in regards to the show, that Instagram account is the Juice Alert underscore. I believe Aaron Rodgers is the most valuable player in the entire NFL. I kind of think that's been that way for about the past decade. You know, about the uh, around the last. Eight to nine, ten years, I think it's fair to say that Aaron Rodgers has been the most valuable player in all football. Um, and look, this year Aaron Rodgers is on a very good team. He has a pretty good roster. I do think Green Bay has a chance to definitely win the Super Bowl. But for the most part, throughout Aaron Rodgers' prime and throughout his time in Green Bay, it hasn't always been smooth sailing for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And I think that we fail to realize how many times Aaron Rodgers elevated the Green Bay Packers to heights 
they probably should not have reached. I mean, think about it, people. Back in 2011, the Green Bay Packers went 15-1 and despite having the 32nd-ranked total defense. Think about that. The 36th ranked total defense, Aaron Rodgers, he scores a bunch of points, he puts the team on his back week after week, has one of the best MVP seasons of all time, goes 15-1, bad defense doesn't matter. In 2009 and 2012, he was the most sacked quarterback in the entire NFL. He still found a way to win 11 games in both seasons. So Aaron Rodgers, if he's the most sacked quarterback in the entire NFL, he can get you to 11 wins. He can still get you to the playoffs. Okay, in 2013, when he tears his collarbone, you know, people thought the Packers were down and out. They were awful without Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, he comes back in week 17. He really speeds up his recovery. He plays, you know, with probably about 80. He probably plays around about 75 to 80 percent. And he goes on the road and beats the, beats the Chicago Bears and gets the Green Bay Packers to the playoffs. Anyone remember 2016, the year where Ty Montgomery was the Green Bay Packers' best running back? He actually was a wide receiver on the team that converted to running back. So Aaron Rodgers was out there with a running back that was wearing number 88. The guy is not your traditional running back. The team had no run game. Mike McCarthy's offense continued to be stale. The team was awful. There was no run game. There was no defense in 2016. And Aaron Rodgers, he leads them all the way to the NFC title game. Remember when Aaron Rodgers, you know, said relax when the Packers were struggling and he just reeled off 40 touchdown passes, led the entire NFL, just dragged a sorry Packers team to the playoffs, was able to win the division, beat the Giants in the playoffs, beat the Cowboys in the playoffs, and of course he lost to the Falcons in the NFC title game. But guess what? The team shouldn't have been there in the first place, people. And last year, Aaron Rodgers, in his first year, in a whole new system, with the first-year head coach, Matt LaFleur, he drags the Green Bay Packers to a 13-3 record and one game away from the Super Bowl, despite not having a whole lot of weapons on offense. Okay, I'm sorry, but outside Devontae Adams, if you take him away from the Green Bay Packers wide receiver core right now, it is a bottom five wide receiver core in the entire NFL, is any defensive coordinator scared of Al Lazard, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Robert Tanyan? Come on, people. And everyone, and everyone wants to talk about, oh, the Packers. How are they winning all these close games? How are they doing it? They win the close games because of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, he's so great. And like I said, where were the offensive weapons? It doesn't matter. Aaron Rodgers, even when he doesn't have his best stuff, he still can find a way to get your team to an NFC title game in a down season. You know, Aaron Rodgers, we're talking about we're talking about a guy that is going to throw anywhere from 4,000 yards to 26 touchdowns to about four interceptions in a down year. That was a down year for Aaron Rodgers. And in, in year number 13, despite being 37 years old, Aaron Rodgers, is on pace to set a career high in touchdown passes and more than likely is going to win the 2020 NFL MVP, okay? And last year, it was pretty clear in the NFC title game, the Green Bay Packers were not close to the San Francisco 49ers. And what do the Green Bay Packers do? Do they get Aaron Rodgers an extra offensive weapon? Do they get him some extra help on defense? No. They don't do any of those things. They draft a quarterback in the first round. 
to try to replace Aaron Rodgers. But the Aaron Rodgers fold, the he laid down and say, oh, woe is me. The team will never support me. Did he fold like Carson Wentz when Jalen Hurts was selected in the second round of the, of the 2020 draft. Remember when Jalen Hurts was selected and Carson Wentz this season just looked complete garbage. He went to the tank. He emotionally could not take the beating. Did Aaron Rodgers fold like that? No. Aaron Rodgers came out and said, hey, guess what, Green Bay Packers organization? Screw you. I ain't going anywhere. I've always said from about early 2011 to early 2017, about a six-year stretch, about a six- or seven-year stretch, I felt that Aaron Rodgers was the best quarterback in all football and arguably the most valuable quarterback in all football. And what do I mean by most valuable? What does the most valuable player really truly mean? The most valuable player to me is a player that con who contributes the most to his or her, or her team's success. Most valuable means something that cannot be replaced. And the three most valuable players in the entire NFL, to me personally, are number one, Aaron Rodgers, number two, Deshaun Watson, and number three, Russell Wilson. I know that Aaron Donald's very valuable. I know Tyreek Hill is very valuable. But I decided to roll with the quarterbacks because, well, they got to score the points. They're the leaders. They're the guys that throw the passes. So I roll with three quarterbacks that are that really just mean everything to their franchises, you know. And why do I give Aaron Rodgers the edge over Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson? For one, he's flat out better than both of them. I love Russell Wilson, but to me, Aaron Rodgers is flat out better. Did we not see Aaron Rodgers outplay Russell Wilson in the playoffs last year? Aaron Rodgers at his best and at his worst is better than Russell Wilson. He can make certain throws that even Russell Wilson could only dream of making. And Deshaun Watson, he's great, but not quite as accurate. Not quite as precise, not quite as good as Aaron Rodgers when Aaron Rodgers is at his best and at his worst compared to one Deshaun Watson, okay? So he's just better than them, first of all. And here's the thing, people. Aaron Rodgers plays in the small market that is Green Bay, Wisconsin, a place that does not attract free agents. So what does that mean? That means the Green Bay Packers organization has to hit on draft picks because, let's be real, people, if you have a choice to to go to play in Atlanta, Georgia, or Houston, Texas, or Dallas, Texas, or, I don't know, Las Vegas with the Raiders, and you're weighing your options and the Green Bay Packers are on your list, of course you want to go to a good team, but the average NFL player is going to want to play and live in Las Vegas Nevada, or in Los Angeles, California, as opposed to Cheesehead Land, that is Green Bay, Wisconsin. Green Bay's a turnoff for free agents, okay? And the Green Bay Packers have to make sure that they draft players because they cannot go out there and sign a bunch of free agents because, well, teams are just not super interested in coming to Green Bay, Wisconsin, as opposed to other big-time markets. And listen, people, the fact of the matter is Green Bay, most of the time, they don't even try to go after free agents. They just refuse to go after free agents, okay? I don't know what it is, and I say that that's significant because when you're relying on a bunch of draft picks, these are guys that could be hit, hit or miss players. Folks, the average NFL career 
is 3.3 years, okay? So Aaron Rodgers, he can't just go to an owner and say, hey, you know, owner of the Green Bay Packers, go get me a star left tackle. Go get me a star defensive end to help me get the ball back. Go get me Khalil Mack. Go get me these star level players because, well, the Packers, they don't have an owner. They don't have an owner, okay? And when you talk about Seattle, at least they can trade for Jamal Adams. At least they can go out and get a guy like Carlos Dell. I'm not saying Green Bay can't do that, but either they're unwilling to do it or players just don't want to play there, okay? Because Green Bay, they don't spend money on free agents. They don't make big-time trades. They are one of the most frugal organizations I've ever seen. It is mind-boggling to me how the Green Bay Packers organization, time in and time out, fails to get star-level players around Aaron Rodgers. And he's had to work with a lot of just men, you know, second and third and fourth round receivers, very marginal running backs, offensive linemen that aren't top of the level picks, defenses that aren't very good. He's had to carry a bunch of bad coaching staffs. And to keep th- and keep this in mind, people, over the last 15 years, do you know how many first round picks the Green Bay Packers have spent on offense? They spent one first-round pick on offense, Jordan Love. They selected him to try to replace Aaron Rodgers. You would think to yourself, oh, well, if they're not drafting offensive players in the draft or in the first round, well, the defense must be so really good. The defense must be elite because they're spending all their picks on defense, right? Well, in the playoffs, in Aaron Rodgers' eight career losses, the defense is giving up 36 points per game. Folks, it's not even close. Don't give me Tom Brady. He's had Bill Belichick, an all-time head coach. He's had great offensive lines. He's had a great system put in place. He's had a great culture in New England. He's had much better defenses to work with. You know, the Patriots have not solely relied upon Tom Brady's greatness. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, the Green Bay Packers, they could barely beat the 0-16 Cleveland Browns. Remember when the Cleveland Browns went 0-16 a couple of years ago and Aaron Rodgers didn't play in that game? The Packers barely beat the 0-16 Cleveland Browns. If you take Aaron Rodgers away from the Green Bay Packers, it's a four-win football team. I guarantee you it, okay? If you take Patrick Mahomes away from the Kansas City Chiefs, they can still win games. They won 12 games before Patrick Mahomes got there with Alex Smith. I'm just saying, people, in reality, people, Aaron Rodgers, is by far and away the most valuable player in the entire NFL. He's still an elite quarterback, and I don't think that should be up for debate. So the Jacksonville Jaguars have officially locked up the number one overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. And by the way, I told you so. In the offseason, I told all of you, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're going to be picking first overall in the 2021 NFL Draft, and well, guess what? I was right, but any fan that kind of follows the NFL knows that that's really not a hot take. The Jaguars, they just had a bad season. They're not a good football team. I firmly believe the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to draft Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence. When you look at Trevor Lawrence, he's really the total package. He's got the requisite size. 
He's got a very strong arm. He's very accurate down the field. He seems like a great guy. There really should be no questions about his work ethic or his leadership skills. His teammates seem to love him. He seems like a guy that has the first guy in, last guy out mentality. I believe that he's a hardworking guy that's going to work hard and do everything in his power to become a great franchise quarterback. I believe that he can be a leader of men. And he's beaten a lot of good teams in his college career. He's beaten Notre Dame multiple times. He's beaten Ohio State once. He beat Alabama as a freshman in the national championship game. He's won a national championship. Look, I like Gardner Minshew. I think Gardner Minshew is a capable quarterback that can win you football games. I, I do believe that he'd be a good starting caliber quarterback on a handful of NFL teams. But when you can draft Trevor Lawrence, you move on from Gardner Minshew. Now, obviously, the big news, you know, coming out of town is that the New York Jets are not going to have the opportunity to draft Trevor Lawrence because they won two straight games. They beat the Cleveland Browns, and they beat the Los Angeles Rams. And a lot of Jets fans are upset, and because Jets fans are so bitter and so upset that they can't give the number one overall pick, and I understand it, I really do, but because they're so upset, they're out there saying, man, the Trevor Lawrence, man, he has no chance to succeed in Jacksonville. The New York Jets would have been the best landing spot for Trevor Lawrence. Imagine Trevor Lawrence in the New York market. The Jets are a way better situation for Trevor Lawrence as compared to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're out of your gore. How can you say that? First of all, the idea that Trevor Lawrence needs the New York market is kind of laughable to me because, listen, does it help if you are a star player and you go to a big-time city like Dallas or New York if you want to build your brand up? Yes. But, folks, what helps your brand is if you're good and if you're winning. I'm sorry, but does Daniel Jones not play quarterback for the New York Giants? He's in a big-time market. Why is he not in a bunch of commercials? Oh, he's not in a bunch of commercials because he's not that good, and he's not winning games, okay? Aaron Rodgers, he plays in one of the smallest markets in the entire NFL. Aaron Rodgers, he's in a bunch of commercials. Patrick Mahomes, he goes to Kansas City. Is that a big, big-time market? Whether Trevor Lawrence goes to the Jaguars, the Jets, whatever, his brand will only be so big if he wins and if he's a good player. So this idea that you need to be in the New York market to brand Trevor Lawrence, to get Trevor Lawrence in the commercials, it's false. It's fool's gold. And here's the reality, New York, New York Jets fans. The Jacksonville Jaguars is a better landing spot for Trevor Lawrence than the New York Jets. And I will tell you why that is. The first reason is because the division is much easier. I'm sorry, but if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I want no part of the AFC East. You want to know why? Because that division is filled with top-of-the-level head coaches, and they're all defensive-minded head coaches. And two of those head coaches have really, really good rosters. Those two head coaches are Sean McDermott and Brian Flores. They're 
They're two excellent defensive-minded head coaches, and they got loaded rosters with a bunch of good players to throw at a young quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. So I'm, if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I want no parts of those two head coaches four times a year. And keep in mind, Bill Belichick is still in the AFC East. He gives young quarterbacks fits. If I'm a young quarterback, I don't want to face a Bill Belichick-led defense two times a year. Did you see what Bill Belichick did to Justin Herbert? Justin Herbert, he was destroying the entire NFL. And he faces Bill Belichick, he scores zero points. Folks, Trevor Lawrence should want no parts of the AFC East division, especially if he's going to the New York Jets who would by far and away have the worst roster in that division as not even close, okay, not even close. If I'm Trevor Lawrence, I'm taking my chances on Mike Vrabel and Frank Wright. And Mike Vrabel and Frank Wright are two really good football coaches, and they have really good teams at their disposal. But when I think of Brian Flores, and I think of Sean McDermott, and I think of Bill Belichick, who's going to win seven games in a down year, I think of special. I think of elite. When I think of Mike Vrabel, when I think of Frank Wright, I think very good. But eventually, I can see a head coach surpassing them in their division if they get the quarterback right. Sure, the Houston Texans have Deshaun Watson in the AFC South, but Deshaun Watson's on a bad roster. Who knows if Houston will get the head coach right? Also, number two, more than likely, Trevor Lawrence, is going to get a better head coach if he goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'll tell you why in a second, but head coaches matter. There's a reason Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Terry Bradshaw have all the rings. There's a reason. They've had really good rosters and great Hall of Fame head coaches by their side. Even guys like Drew Brees. Drew Brees has played with Sean Payton for his entire career in New Orleans. You mean to tell me Sean Payton? Does have a huge influence on Drew Brees? Drew Brees was lost with the Chargers before he landed in New Orleans with Sean Payton. Okay, and if I'm a head coach, and I'm if I'm a new head coach that's looking for a new job in the NFL, and I'm choosing between the Jaguars and the Jets, if I'm that head coach, I want no parts of Belichick, I want no parts of Sean McDermott, I want no parts of Brian Flores. So. I, I'd rather take my chances in the AFC South division. Also, the Jets, they have the number two overall pick. That's a turnoff compared to the Jaguars, who have the number one overall pick. And listen, I love I love Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields has a chance to be Deshaun Watson. If he hits, he's that good of a prospect. But there are some question marks about Justin Fields. Justin Fields, he didn't look so good versus Northwestern. He didn't look so good versus Indiana. He didn't look so good versus Clemson last year. When you compare Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, if you talk to most NFL scouts, they'll tell you the gap is wide. The same thing can be said for Zach Wilson, and the same thing can be said for Trey Lance, okay? Trevor Lawrence is as close to a can't-miss prospect as there is out there. Listen, if you're a head coach and you're a first-timer and you fail, you may never get another opportunity. Also, the Jaguars have $75 million in cap space to spend in the offseason. They can go get a whole bunch of good players. And if you're in Jacksonville, the expectations are super-duper low. Whether you like it or not, you will get a lot of press and a lot of attention 
and fans will put lofty expectations on your shoulders if you are a part of a New York franchise. That is just how New York fans work. Those fans are brutal. Those fans don't care about your feelings. They want to win football games, and they're a very impatient fan base. If you're in Jacksonville, you can kind of fly under the radar. In Jacksonville, no one cares really about the Jaguars. Of, of course, they're in hindsight are fans that really do care about them, but compared to all the Florida teams, I think people in Florida care more about the Florida Gators as compared to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm just saying, and when I look at the New York Jets, compared compared to all the other teams out there that, are, that have openings at head coach and are probably going to have openings for a new head coach, when you compare the Jets to the Texans, the Texans have Deshaun Watson. The Jets don't. The Jets, do they have Justin Herbert like the Los Angeles Chargers? I don't think so. At least when you look at the at least when you look at the Detroit Lions, they've got Matthew Stafford. He's pretty talented. He's won football games. At least you know what you're gonna get. At least all you have to deal with in that division is Aaron Rodgers twice a year. If you can find a way to split with Aaron Rodgers and deal with Minnesota and Chicago, you're good. And that can be turned around in about two years. That division isn't super hard. And when you look at the Atlanta Falcons, that team has talent. Did you not see them almost beat the Kansas City Chiefs the other day? And keep in mind, when Drew Brees and Tom Brady leave the AFC South division, that division's wide open. So that's what I'm trying to say, people. The Jaguars are a better landing spot for Trevor Lawrence as compared to the Jets. And I'll give you one final reason as to why that's the case. The Jaguars are better than you think. James Robinson. A good young running back that has a lot of potential. DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, Keenan Cole, Tyler Eifert. Those are really good wide receivers and a very solid tight end. You look at Jawan Taylor, Cam Robinson, two big, strong SEC guys to be the anchors of your offensive line. Those are two good cornerstones. And on defense, you got a guy like Josh Allen who has a chance to be a superstar. You got one of the most underrated players in Miles Jack. You got Clavon Chase on who seems to be a hit as a first round pick. And Joe Schobert. The Jaguars have talent. In my opinion, if the Jaguars had a competent quarterback and a competent head coach, they would be winning a lot more football games than they would right now. Okay. I like, I like Garner Minshew, but he's not Trevor Lawrence. Okay. If you give the Jacksonville Jaguars Trevor Lawrence, and a competent head coach, you're going to win football games. Your team is going to improve 100%. So for all the reasons that I mentioned, I believe the Jacksonville Jaguars is the better landing spot for Trevor Lawrence compared to the New York Jets. That's just my opinion. However, like I said, okay, let me shift to Dwayne Haskins. So Dwayne Haskins has been released by the Washington football team. The Washington football team recently lost at home to the Carolina Panthers. Dwayne Haskins, he did not play particularly well in that game. I understand there was no Terry McLaurin. I understand the game plan was not very good by Scott Turner, but he played poorly. 
That's the bottom line. He got benched in the fourth quarter of the game for a guy named Tyler Heineke, Taylor Heineke, someone that I don't even remember his name. I mean, it was bad for Dwayne Haskins. And look, Dwayne Haskins has been released. He's no longer a part of the Washington football team's organization. And listen, folks, when Dwayne Haskins decided to enter the NFL draft, I was a big fan of Dwayne Haskins. I, I was a strong believer that he could develop into becoming a great NFL quarterback. And up to this point, he's not come close. And he no longer has a job. And I'm not shocked that Dwayne Haskins got released. I'll get, I'll get into the reasons why I'm not super shocked. But going back to when Dwayne Haskins decided to enter the 2019 NFL Draft, at that time, if you would have told me that Dwayne Haskins would not even make it past two full seasons with the team that drafted him, I would tell you you're crazy. I would tell you you're stupid. I would tell you you don't know what you're talking about. I got to hold the L, people. I thought Dwayne Haskins was going to work in Washington. Dwayne Haskins, he absolutely balled out at Ohio State. I saw a guy with a big, strong arm. He was tough in the pocket, wasn't afraid to take a hit. He was accurate. He made good decisions. I saw him perform well in big games. Penn State, Michigan, Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. He beat Washington in the Rose Bowl. He beat a lot of good teams and a lot of good defenses. And I said... Dwayne Haskins had the arm talent, the accuracy, the swagger, the football IQ, and the mental makeup to turn around Washington's organization. And I felt that when Washington got Dwayne Haskins with the 15th, with the 15th overall pick, I said it was an absolute steal. Washington, they hit a home run, and it looks like they struck out. They struck out because here's the reality, people. I'm a big I'm a big time Dwayne Haskins supporter. I still believe Dwayne Haskins can one day develop into a starting quarterback. I believe that he can do some great things for an NFL team if given a fair shot and a change of scenery. But here's the thing, people. Dwayne Haskins has no one to blame but himself in this situation. Was the situation in Washington ideal? No, it was not. Dwayne Haskins, he was drafted to a team that, quite frankly, did not want it from the jump. Dale Snyder, the Washington football team's owner, decided to draft Dwayne Haskins. There were coaches in that building that did not want to draft the guy, but Dale Snyder, he put his hand in the cookie jar, and he said, I don't care what you guys say. We're taking Dwayne Haskins, okay? He didn't trust the talent evaluators. It was a Dale Snyder pick, not a coaching staff pick, and I think Ron Rivera definitely tried to give Dwayne Haskins a fair shake. He gave him an opportunity to be a starting quarterback on the team when he took over. But it just doesn't seem like Ron Rivera... Dwayne Haskins was not Ron Rivera's cup of tea, okay? And for what it's worth, Dwayne Haskins, he did sort of have not the greatest roster, not a whole lot around him as far as the offense goes. We look at the wide receiver core, the offensive line. But here's the bottom line. Dwayne Haskins has been a massive failure for the Washington football team's organization. And Dwayne Haskins, whether it was ideal or not, he was given multiple opportunities to become a starting quarterback 
for an NFL franchise. He was given the opportunity to take over a franchise, to be the guy, to be the franchise quarterback, and he failed. And he not only failed on the field, he failed miserably off the field. And it's pretty clear to me that Dwayne Haskins, just up to this point in his career, was not mature enough to lead an NFL franchise. It's really sad to me because I definitely root for Dwayne Haskins, but really the fact that Dwayne Haskins got released and why he no longer has a job, not even two full seasons into his short-lived NFL career up to this point, a big reason why he's no longer on a team is because of his off-the-field antics. We could talk about the fact that he took a selfie after his first ever NFL win when he didn't even he didn't even line up for the um, game ceiling kneel. He, you know, Case Keenum had to go out there and take the game winning kneel while Dwayne Haskins was taking a selfie before the game was officially over. That was a red flag. There were reports that the coaching staff was frustrated about his work ethic. They felt that he wasn't diving his nose into the playbook enough. That was a red flag to me. There were reports that he was bragging about his stats after a loss to the Baltimore Ravens. That was a red flag to me. And also, last but not least, recently, he was found at a strip club, or at least he brought the strippers to him, but he didn't have a mask. And in a year in which we're dealing with a global pandemic, in a year where we know COVID-19 is a very serious issue, you can't be in a situation where you don't wear a mask. Okay, you're putting your teammates in jeopardy. You're putting your head coach in jeopardy. You're putting the franchise in jeopardy, okay? And it's not the first time he broke COVID protocols. And there were also reports that Ron Rivera said Dwayne Haskins' working habits changed once he named him the starting quarterback. That was sort of a red flag to me. And I truly think that if Dwayne Haskins wasn't so irresponsible off the field, and if some of those things didn't come out about him not working hard enough, I don't know how true those reports are, but listen, I don't hear those reports about Drew Locke. I don't hear those reports about Kyler Murray. I don't hear those reports about Daniel Jones. I don't hear those reports about Sam Darnold. We could talk about Dwayne Haskins being an immature guy at age 23 years old, but if you're a franchise quarterback, listen, there's only 32 starting quarterback jobs in the NFL for a reason. It takes a special skill set and it takes a unique personality to go out there and lead a group of men. And here's the here's the facts. Mitchell Trubisky, is he the most talented guy? No, he's not. But at least Mitchell Trubisky has done everything in his power to become the best quarterback he can become. At least it's all at least coming out of Chicago. There are rave reviews about Mitchell Trubisky from the coaching staff. Mitchell Trubisky, he might be a bust. He might be terrible. He might be awful. But there are reports coming out of Chicago that he works hard, that he's the first guy in and the last guy out. Same thing with Daniel Jones. Same thing with Sam Darnold. And really all Washington needed Dwayne Haskins to do was just steer the ship. You know, they had a good defense. He just didn't need to turn the football over. He just needed to steer the ship. And unfortunately, Dwayne Haskins wasn't ready to do that. He was bad on and off the field. And listen, if you're balling on the field, you can deal with some of the strip club antics. But 
if you're playing poorly, that's not going to fly with the coaching staff. And I think it goes back to the fact that Dwayne Haskins did not have a whole lot of reps and experience in college, and I think that matters. And by the way, I'm not trying to say Dwayne Haskins doesn't love football. I'm not trying to say the guy can't turn things around. I'm not saying Dwayne Haskins is a bad guy because I think Dwayne Haskins is a genuinely good person. I don't know him personally, but Dwayne Haskins hasn't done anything criminally wrong. He's just super immature and not at this moment ready to lead an NFL franchise. And because of his off-the-field antics, because he was not performing well on the field, Washington said, hey, we got to cut the guy. And it's an indictment on Dwayne Haskins, unfortunately. And it goes back to the fact that I think that he was a little bit overwhelmed by the NFL world. Dwayne Haskins only had 14 college starts back at Ohio State. It seems like the NFL overwhelmed him and humbled him a little bit. And there were reports that him maybe being a hometown kid kind of set him back. There were, you know, friends in the local area. When you're the hometown kid, it's a little bit of a distraction because everyone in the area knows you. Everyone that you've known growing up is going to the games. And it was a distraction. And listen, I'm not ready to sell my Dwayne Haskins stock quite yet. I do believe Dwayne Haskins could turn around an NFL franchise if given a, another opportunity. And I believe he will get another opportunity. I believe he should get another opportunity. I think the Carolina Panthers, they should be calling for Dwayne Haskins to bring him in potentially because they need a quarterback in the future. You know, to sit behind Teddy Bridgewater for a little bit and develop. I believe Dwayne Haskins has more upside than Teddy Bridgewater. I believe that he can work with the New Orleans Saints. I believe Sean Payton can definitely fix him. I believe Dwayne Haskins, with that big-time arm, can do some great things in New Orleans. I believe he can do some great things with the, with the Colts roster. They need a quarterback for the future. I believe the Pittsburgh Steelers would be a good fit. They need a quarterback in the future. I believe the Minnesota Vikings could be a good fit for Dwayne Haskins because Kirk Cousins, he'll be due for a new contract in about two years, and I think Dwayne Haskins has more upside than him as an NFL quarterback. I believe in Dwayne Haskins' talent. However, if Dwayne Haskins wants to make it again as an NFL quarterback, he's going to have to mature very fast. He's going to have to grow up, okay? And I'm not saying Dwayne Haskins can't do that. I'm a believer in Dwayne Haskins, but it just goes to show you that you can be super talented, you can have the big arm, but if you can't steer the ship, and if you're immature on and off the field, then you're not going to make it in the NFL. And I think Dwayne Haskins got a big slice of humble pie, and I believe that Dwayne Haskins will learn from this. And it's not a guarantee that he will succeed going forward. His career very well could be over. I would not be shocked about that. But I think Dwayne Haskins will get another opportunity. We'll see what he does with it. Do I believe in Dwayne Haskins? Absolutely. But I will say this. I hope Dwayne Haskins realizes the opportunity that will be presented to him because usually you don't get second chances sometimes in the NFL, whether you're a first-round pick or not. Usually a first-round pick will get a second chance, and if Dwayne Haskins gets that second chance, I hope he takes advantage of it because the opportunity to be an NFL starting quarterback doesn't come around too often. And Dwayne Haskins He's talented enough to become a great NFL quarterback one day. I believe in his arm talent. I believe that he has the special stuff to become a, a franchise quarterback one day. However, I just hope that Dwayne Haskins takes advantage of the opportunity and he does everything in his power 
to become a successful NFL quarterback because the last thing, if you're if you're Dwayne Haskins, the last thing you want to happen is you retire from the NFL. You don't make the most of your second opportunity. You're out the league in about a couple of years. You don't get a second contract. And you think back when you're 45, 50 years old, you're watching all these great quarterbacks who maybe aren't as talented as you, dominating and winning games. And you probably think to yourself, man, if only I had taken it more seriously. So my message to Dwayne Haskins would be, hey, if you get another opportunity, take it and run with it and be ready for the challenge. So that is my thoughts on Dwayne Haskins as far as him being cut by the Washington football team and his future as a potential NFL franchise quarterback going forward. Okay, okay, let's talk about something else right here. Mitchell Trubisky and the Chicago Bears. Let's talk about them. Mitchell Trubisky and the Chicago Bears are back in the playoff hunt. If they beat the Green Bay Packers this upcoming Sunday, they will make the 2020 NFL playoffs. Um, so, listen, Chicago, it's simple. Win and you're in. Okay, win, win and you're in. Now, do I believe Chicago's going to win the game? No, I think Chicago's a fraud. I said roughly about five weeks ago, they're not a playoff team. And, and up to this point, I stand by that. I believe the Arizona Cardinals are going to get that final playoff spot, but that's a story for another, another day. Let's zero in on Mitchell Trubisky, the former number two overall pick. Um, I wasn't a huge supporter of Mitchell Trubisky when he was coming out of North Carolina. Um, I felt that he was overdrafted. He only had one year of production. He had an average arm to me. He's still got an average arm to this day. It's not like his arms got much stronger. And I just didn't think that he was he was the best fit for Chicago, especially considering the fact that Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes were on the board at the time. And I felt that Mahomes and Deshaun Watson were better quarterbacks coming out than Mitchell Trubisky. I was actually, I was actually higher on Mahomes than most people, okay? But, you know, Mitchell Trubisky, he's had a rough road in the NFL so far. Maybe not necessarily a rough road, but he's been a disappointment as a first-round pick, especially being the number two overall pick of the draft. And part of me feels bad for Mitchell Trubisky because I don't think that he's ever, I mean, ever going to live up to the expectations that were put upon him at the time because, listen, now he's competing with Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Usually, you're compared to your contemporaries from your from your draft class. And Mahomes and Watson, they're top five quarterbacks. And Mitchell Trubisky, he's not that good. And look, Mitchell Trubisky, he did lose his starting job earlier in the year versus the Atlanta Falcons. He regained the job because of Nick Foles' injury and really because Nick Foles wasn't playing all that well. And Mitchell Trubisky, he's shown some improvements over the past five games, um, the team is 3-2, and two, and they're back in the playoff hunt. But Chicago Bears fans, you got to slow down. All you saying, oh, look at Trubisky. Did you see Trubisky? Did you see what he did last week? Yeah, I saw Trubisky defeat a one-win Jacksonville Jaguars team. Do you want a cookie, Chicago Bears fans? Is that the standards that your franchise has for quarterbacks? Because I understand, you haven't had a great quarterback in a long time. 
the best quarterback for the Chicago Bears probably in the last 20 years is Jay Cutler. And what was the knock about Jay Cutler? He's talented, but he doesn't work hard. He's not passionate about the game of football. That was the knock about that was the knock on Jay Cutler. Okay? And here's the thing, folks. The Chicago Bears haven't had a quarterback in a long time. And because their standards are so low, they're praising Mitchell Trubisky so over the top every time he does well. And in reality, folks, we have to put on our glasses and our lenses and examine this three-game winning streak the Chicago Bears are on where they've beaten the terrible Houston Texans, they've beaten the below-average Minnesota Vikings, and a one-win Jacksonville Jaguars team. And listen, folks, I don't give a rip about Mitchell Trubisky's record. I'm sorry, Bears fans. Every time I argue with Chicago Bears fans, they say, look at Mitchell Trubisky's record. Look at his record as a starter. If records meant everything for quarterbacks, then Jimmy Garoppolo and Dak Prescott would be top five quarterbacks. That's not the case. Mark Sanchez has gotten to multiple conference championship games. Blake Bortles has gotten to a conference championship game. Case Keenum has gotten to a conference championship game. You can win games with average to below average quarterback play. However, here's the here's the reality, people. If you're the Chicago Bears, don't get sucked into this. Trubisky's a below average passer. He's a bust. And right now, Mitchell Trubisky, he's the worst starting quarterback in all football, people. And it's not even close, in my opinion. I'm sorry. Um, and for those of you that are going to argue at me, they're, they're going to argue with me and get at me and be super duper mad about that statement, I ask you this question. What current starting quarterback is Mitchell Trubisky better than? Is he better than Alex Smith? No. Alex Smith's more accurate. He's better at reading defenses. He's a better distributor of the football. He's a more accomplished quarterback. Is he better than is Mitchell Trubisky better than Sam Darnold? I'd say no. Sam Darnold, he's got a bigger arm. He's got more upside. He's got more potential. See, my knock on Mitchell Trubisky is this. He's had good wide receivers. He's had good tight ends. He's had solid running games. Matt Nagy to me is a better head coach than you than you people are willing to give him credit for. And Mitchell Trubisky, he's done nothing with it. He's wasted away this great Chicago Bears roster. And I'm not the biggest Sam Darnold fan I've said in the past. I don't think Sam Darnold is ever going to become a great quarterback. But give me Sam Darnold over Mitchell Trubisky all day and every day of the week. Because Sam Darnold, he's a more talented thrower of the football than Mitchell Trubisky. Is Mitchell Trubisky better than Daniel Jones? Maybe. Daniel Jones has regressed this year. But last year, Daniel Jones, as a rookie, threw 24 touchdowns to 12 interceptions on a bad team. Mitchell Trubisky, he's not, he, he wasn't doing that on a bad team as a rookie. Is Mitchell Trubisky better than Drew Locke? It's close, but I say no. Drew Locke has a better arm than Mitchell Trubisky. Way more upside. Carson Wentz, as bad as Carson Wentz has been, we've seen Carson Wentz play at an MVP level. A year ago, Carson Wentz was arguably a top 10 quarterback in all football. In fact, not arguably, last year, he was a top 10 quarterback. And the thing about Mitchell Trubisky is, he's just holding Chicago back, folks. He's got an average arm. 
He's slow to process, and I don't see much. I think Mitchell Trubisky has been holding the Chicago Bears back for a long time. Chicago, it's time to draft another quarterback. It's time to go out and sign another franchise quarterback that's legit. It's time, Chicago. The Mitchell Trubisky train is not one I want to take a ride on. And listen, if Mitchell Trubisky makes the playoffs this year and he wins a playoff game, I might change my mind. But I don't believe that's going to happen. So, Mitchell Trubisky, all I'm going to say is prove me wrong. Prove me wrong because as I speak today, it's hard for me to believe that Mitchell Trubisky is not the worst starting quarterback in all football. Mitchell Trubisky is a bust, except it, Chicago Bears fans and Chicago Bears organization, if you're serious about competing long-term. I want to now dive into the New Orleans Saints. I believe the New Orleans Saints, as of right now today, in December of 2020, they're the best team in the NFC. Now, as you guys know, I'm a big supporter of Aaron Rodgers. I love Aaron Rodgers to death. And listen, I do believe Aaron Rodgers has a chance to win his second Super Bowl pretty, pretty soon. It could very well be this season during the 2020 NFL season. I do believe Green Bay actually matches up with Kansas City pretty well, actually. And I do believe that in Super Bowl 55, if the Kansas City Chiefs and Green Bay Packers were to meet, I give the Green Bay Packers a pretty good chance to knock off the Chiefs. But while I compare the Packers to the Saints, and I understand the Packers did beat the Saints earlier in the season. I get it. I understand it. But while I compare the rosters, while I compare the coaching staffs, I don't know. I just have a slight pause with Green Bay. The New Orleans Saints have shown the ability over the past two seasons to win games and dominate teams with multiple different quarterbacks. They, they've shown they can win with Drew Brees. They've shown they can win with Teddy Bridgewater, who, granted, is no longer on the team, but I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is anything special. They've shown they can win with Brees. They've shown they can win with Bridgewater. And recently, over the past couple of weeks, before Drew Brees came back from injury, they were winning games with Taysom Hill. And I'm sorry, but if you take Aaron Rodgers, away from the Green Bay Packers, they're not going to win football games. They're not better than Seattle. They're not better than New Orleans. Not even close. Not even a playoff team if you take Aaron Rodgers away from the Green Bay Packers. So the reason why I give the Saints the edge over Green Bay and why I believe they're the best team in the NFC is because they don't solely depend upon greatness from their quarterback. Drew Brees, he can have an off game and still hand the football off to Alvin Kamara. He still has a great defense to bail him out. Sean Payton's an excellent mastermind at head coach. And listen, I like Matt LaFleur a lot. Matt LaFleur is super-duper underrated. Matt LaFleur is not Sean Payton. Okay, so listen, Green Bay, if you're serious about making a Super run, I suggest you get that number one seed because I would much rather Green Bay face off against New Orleans in the frozen tundra as opposed to Green Bay going to New Orleans in a playoff game that matters, okay? It's just, there's just something about 
this Green Bay Packers team, that gives me a reason to pause. It really does, okay? Because I've seen this team let Aaron Rodgers down on so many occasions, whether it be the special teams, the defense, the coaching staff, and it always seems like there's just one big bad bully out there that could be in the Green Bay Packers' way. And look, I'm not saying the Saints should be the favorites to win the Super Bowl. All I'm saying is I believe they have the best roster in the entire NFC between their offensive line, their defensive line, their running backs, their wide receiver core, the quarterbacks that can throw at you, Sean Payton's coaching. New Orleans really doesn't have a weakness, okay? And we've seen Green Bay. You know, if you push them around a little bit, if you get physical with them, if you force Aaron Rodgers to play from behind, this team can be exposed. So, look, the Saints are a team that destroyed the Tampa Bay Buccaneers twice. The Green Bay Packers, they got blown out by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and it wasn't even close. So listen, I'm not saying I'm picking New Orleans to come out of the NFC because I really do truly believe that they do have to travel to snowy Green Bay, Wisconsin for a playoff game. I'm not sure Drew Brees is ready for that smoke with Aaron Rodgers. I'm just not. And I think that at this stage in Drew Brees' career, he needs to be playing in a dome. He needs to be playing in good conditions. He, need, he needs a good running game. He needs a lot around him. He needs a lot of things to break his way. So between the quarterbacks, it's not even close. I trust Aaron Rodgers over Drew Brees 100%. But my pause with Green Bay once again is, did they do enough in the offseason? They didn't make a whole lot of moves in the offseason to improve upon their season last year. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't get a whole lot of great draft picks from the 2020 NFL draft. A lot of Green Bay success is due to the fact that Aaron Rodgers right now is the baddest man on the planet. And if Aaron Rodgers, if he has an off game, if you run the football in Green Bay's defense and you keep Aaron Rodgers off the field, I think the Green Bay Packers can be had. And I think the New Orleans Saints definitely can be had, but if I were to choose between the rosters, i say New Orleans has the better players and the better coaching staff. So, really it all comes down to is this. Can Drew Brees elevate under pressure in the playoffs? We saw Drew Brees not play great versus the Rams a season or two ago. We, two seasons ago, pardon me. Two seasons ago, I understand there was the whole no-call situation, but Drew Brees, he got outplayed by Jared Goff. Last year, Drew Brees got outplayed by Kirk Cousins. It's time for Drew Brees to put up or shut up. If Drew Brees is that guy, he'll find a way to get the Saints back to the Super Bowl. And this very well could be Drew Brees' last opportunity to win a Super Bowl. This is arguably the best roster he's ever had. And I believe the Saints are, once again, the best team in their conference. So we'll see what the future holds for the New Orleans Saints in the 2020 NFL playoffs. But in reality, I believe they're the best team in the NFC, no doubt about it. Okay, let me shift to the Seattle Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks won the 2020 NFC West Division title. They defeated the Los Angeles Rams in the game to clinch the division. I actually picked the Seattle Seahawks this year to win the NFC West. Um, I was right, and Seattle I believe they're one of the handful of teams that can win the Super Bowl this year. You know, you look at their roster. Russell Wilson, he's one of the top three quarterbacks in all of football. you got a really good running back core led by Chris Carson. 
DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, they're two really, really good wide receivers. You look at the offensive line, the offensive line is not elite, but it's not terrible. It's at least an adequate unit. It's not as bad as it was last year. The offensive line's improved, and this defense is starting to peak at the right time. I was concerned about Seattle's defense the first eight games of the season where they were giving up 30 points per game on average. Over the last seven games, they've cut that in half. They are now averaging only allowing 15 points per game on defense over the past seven contests. Now, you got to give Pete Carroll and that coaching staff and that defense a lot of credit for stepping things up because actually, actually this past game, Russell Wilson and the offense were not great versus the Rams' defense. But because the Seattle Seahawks' defense stepped up and held Jared Goff and the Los Angeles Rams' high-powered offense in check, the Seattle Seahawks, they were able to win the football game. And listen, anytime you can keep teams under 20 points, Russell Wilson more times than not, 90% of the time, is going to win those football games. If your defense is playing like an all-time unit and your defense is giving up 15, 20 points a game, Russell Wilson, he's more than capable of winning you a Super Bowl, okay? And today, I think Kansas City can win a Super Bowl. I think Green Bay can win a Super Bowl. I believe New Orleans can win a Super Bowl. I believe Buffalo can win a Super Bowl. And I believe Seattle is one of the teams in the mix that can win the Super Bowl, okay? Um, there are some other good teams out there, but those are the five teams I feel the most confident in today, okay? And listen, I'm holding Russell Wilson accountable. There are no more excuses for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, go out there and start winning some more playoff games because, see, every time the Seattle Seahawks lose a contest, everyone points to the offensive line, the defense, Pete Carroll and the coaching staff. And when they just fail to realize that in some of these games, Russell Wilson just doesn't show up, okay? Everyone talks about the fact that the Seattle Seahawks coaching staff blew it versus the Patriots a couple of years ago. When in the Super Bowl, Russell Wilson threw one of the dumbest and worst interceptions I've ever seen. Now, again, it was a great play by Malcolm Butler, but if Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady made that throw on the goal line. You know, how, you know how you know how much fans would crucify those players. Russell Wilson. It seems like people are saying, "Oh, great play by Malcolm Butler." When in reality, bad play by Russell Wilson. People failed to realize that earlier in the season, when the Seattle Seahawks were struggling, Russell Wilson was turning the football over. Just as much as Daniel Jones. People fail to realize that in some of these playoff games, Russell Wilson's defense has bailed him out. Remember when Russell Wilson threw five interceptions versus the Green Bay Packers several years ago? And because of the defense and the special teams, Seattle was able to climb back into that game and allow Russell Wilson an opportunity to win the football game despite him playing awful. And are we also going to ignore the fact? That since 2014, the year in which Russell Wilson choked away the the Super Bowl versus versus New England, Russell Wilson has three playoff wins in the last six years. Over the past six seasons, 
the Seattle Seahawks have underachieved with Russell Wilson. And in those three playoff victories, you know Russell Wilson's beaten? Teddy Bridgewater, the woeful Detroit Lions, and Josh McCown, and the depleted Philadelphia Eagles last year. Folks, it's time for Russ Wilson to get Seattle back to the Super Bowl. It's come a point in time where, okay, Russ Wilson, it's been over five years since you've won another Super Bowl. You haven't even sniffed the NFC Championship game since. It's time we start putting some of the blame on your shoulders and not Pete Carroll's shoulders. When in reality, Pete Carroll continues to win this division. When in reality, Pete Carroll's actually been right about his philosophy. Everyone talks about, oh, let Russell cook, let Russ cook, let Russ cook. When we saw earlier in the year, when Russell Wilson throws the ball 50 times a game, he turns the football over. Russell Wilson needs a good running game. Russell Wilson needs a good defense. And here's the thing, people. I understand Russell Wilson has carried bad teams to the playoffs. He has. He definitely has. He is capable of overcoming a bad roster and carrying them to the playoffs. But guess what? Seattle, they're no longer a bad football team. John Snyder and that front office have addressed the Seattle Seahawks' biggest issues. The offensive line. It's an improved unit. The defense. It's improved. You've got weapons on offense. Russell, it's on you now. And Russell Wilson really has a chance to add to his legacy if he can win a second Super Bowl because when we look at quarterbacks from Russell Wilson's era, he's not better than Tom Brady. He's not better than Peyton Manning. He's not better than Aaron Rodgers. He's not better than Drew Brees. Most are, most could argue may he, he and Big Ben are about in the same tier. I think he's better than Eli Manning. Um, and in reality, I know Patrick Mahomes has had a short sample size, but Patrick Mahomes looks like the real deal. It seems to me at Patrick Mahomes' peak, he's better than Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has a chance to separate himself. He has a chance to, to sit at the table with guys like Brady, Manning, Rodgers, Breeze as well, if he can win a second Super Bowl. And listen, I want to know if Russell Wilson can elevate under pressure when he's not the overwhelming favorite to win the Super Bowl. That's why I want to know. Can Russell Wilson elevate under pressure when his team is not the obvious favorite? Because it's one thing to get to a Super Bowl with the Legion of Boom, an all-time great defense, with Marshawn Lynch running the football for you, with Pete Carroll coaching that team up very well, kind of, you know, making you be a game manager that's big on third down. Hey, Russell Wilson, congratulations. You've won a Super Bowl. You're a bona fide Hall of Famer. And I won't even be shocked if Russell Wilson goes down as a top 10 quarterback, quarterback of all time. But what makes Aaron Rodgers great, what makes Tom Brady great, what makes Peyton Manning great is when the chips have been stacked against them, we've seen they can elevate under pressure. You know, can Russell Wilson win a Super Bowl when he's not the odds-off favorite? When he's got a squad to match up with Kansas City. While Kansas City might be better, can Russell Wilson carry the Seattle Seahawks over the hump? Can he beat the Green Bays of the world when, he, when his team is not the overwhelming favorite? Can he beat 
the Tampa Bay's, the New Orleans of the world. We'll find out because I'm interested. I'm very interested to see. And we got to be honest, people. Russell Wilson, he missed out on a dynasty. He really did. He missed out on a dynasty by throwing that interception on the goal line versus the New England Patriots. That Seattle Seahawks team was loaded. They were loaded, and everyone thought they were going to be the next dynasty. Now everyone's talking about Kansas City being the next dynasty, potentially. But before Kansas City, everyone was saying the Seattle Seahawks, the Seattle Seahawks, the Legion of Boom, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, when in reality, in my opinion, I believe the Seattle Seahawks have actually underachieved in the playoffs under Russell Wilson. He's been great. He's won a Super Bowl, but he didn't... The, it's disappointing that team did not become a dynasty. That's all I'm going to say. So, we'll see if Russell Wilson can bring the Seattle Seahawks home another title. But, I'm done with the excuses. He's got a great team. And the Seattle Seahawks, they have all the ingredients to win a Super Bowl as long as Russell Wilson is great under pressure. The Seattle Seahawks will go as far as Russell Wilson takes them in the playoffs at this point going forward. Okay, let's shift to another spicy topic right here. I now want to shift to the Philadelphia Eagles. To me, the Carson Wentz era in Philadelphia is slowly but surely coming to an end. Carson Wentz got benched in week 13 of the 2020 NFL season. When he was facing the Green Bay Packers, he did not play particularly well in that game. And even before that game, I said Carson Wentz, he was playing awful. He was holding the Philadelphia Eagles back. He needed to be benched. And Jalen Hurts has vastly outplayed Carson Wentz since taking over as the Philadelphia Eagles starting quarterback. Jalen Hurts, he's been accurate. He's been making good decisions. He's running the football effectively. He's throwing the football down the field. And it appears that Jalen Hurts has that it factor about him. And Jalen Hurts, he looks like a franchise quarterback. And you could say, well, the Philadelphia Eagles aren't winning games. Well, it's pretty obvious to me that Justin Herbert and Deshaun Watson are franchise quarterbacks. Their teams aren't winning games right now. Jalen Hurts, he looks the part. I'm okay with him not winning games, especially due to the fact that Howie Roseman has put together not a great product on the field. This offensive line, it's in shambles. This wide receiver core is not very good. The defense is old and aging. The Philadelphia Eagles, they're just not a Super Bowl caliber team. But Jalen Hurts, despite not having a great roster around him, he's playing at a high level as a rookie. He's playing really well, folks. He looks like a franchise quarterback. I'm not saying he's officially a franchise quarterback, I want to see Jalen Hurts continue to play more games. I want to see him win from the pocket a little bit more. His arm is just okay to me. It's not a cannon. It's not a strong, strong arm, but it's a good enough arm. It's an arm that I can work with. You know, I'm, I'm a guy that likes my Patrick Mahomes, my Aaron Rodgers. I like having top 10 quarterbacks. I want a guy. The, the benchmark for me is I want a top 15 quarterback. I want an upper-tier quarterback. I want a guy that, that's big, that's strong, that can make all the throws, that's mobile. I want those guys. But Jalen Hurts, to me, has good enough physical tools 
to become a long-term franchise quarterback. It's just not as obvious to me as guys like Justin Herbert, as guys like Joe Burrow. So if Jalen Hurts can continue to put together some more solid tape and continue to play good football, I'll feel good about him being a franchise quarterback. But that's not the point of this segment right here. The bottom line is everyone in the world was making excuse after excuse after excuse for Carson Wentz when he was playing awful, when he looked like the worst starting quarterback in all football. They blamed the offensive line. They blamed the coaching staff. They blamed the defense. They blamed the wide receivers. When in reality, Jalen Hurts, with this same supporting cast, is balling. Okay? And here's the reality, people. The Philadelphia Eagles, they spent a second-round pick on Jalen Hurts. I say that because you don't draft a quarterback in the second round and not give him an opportunity to lead your franchise at some point. Russell Wilson was a second-round pick, people. So don't say, oh, Jalen Hurts wasn't a first-round pick. He's a cast-off. No. We've seen second, third, fourth, even fifth and sixth-round picks develop into very good starting quarterbacks. So, miss me with that. And the Philadelphia Eagles, they still had Carson Wentz under contract. There was absolutely no reason for the Philadelphia Eagles to really draft a quarterback. But, to me, they saw something in Carson Wentz. They must, They saw some lack of, lack of progression. They saw something missing from Carson Wentz. And they drafted a quarterback. And right now, this quarterback is outperforming the guy that they gave a big-time contract to. I don't know how Carson Wentz is a member of the Philadelphia Eagles by the start of next season. I don't know how Jalen Hurts hasn't taken over this starting job because the Philadelphia Eagles right now, it's pretty clear to me, they're going to have to make a choice in the offseason. They're going to have to choose between Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. And look, Carson Wentz, He's a talented quarterback. I understand that he's having a bad season, but I do think Carson Wentz has talent. I do believe that if he has the right attitude and he puts in the work, he can get back to playing at an MVP level. However, with that being said, Doug Peterson has won a Super Bowl and has had success in Philadelphia with multiple quarterbacks. He won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. He's winning games with Jalen Hurts. And right now, it doesn't seem like Doug Peterson has any interest and it seems in, in Carson Wentz. It doesn't seem like Doug Peterson has any interest in Carson Wentz right now. He seems to have no interest in the guy. To me, it seems like Doug Peterson has lost faith in Carson Wentz. And if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, who do you choose? Are you going to choose a quarterback that has just flat out out of nowhere regressed to being one of the worst quarterbacks in the entire NFL this season? A guy that in the past has shown he at times can't stay healthy? A guy that has questionable leadership skills at a position where you need to be a leader? Or are you going to choose the Super Bowl winning head coach that won a Super Bowl Without Carson Wentz, Doug Peterson beat Bill Bel- beat Bill Belichick in a Super Bowl. 
with Nick Foles as a starting quarterback. The team looks good with Jalen Hurts under center. I'm sorry, but if I'm Philadelphia, I'm choosing that head coach because I know that head coach can get it done. That head coach has shown me he can win big. Carson Wentz hasn't shown me anything. Sure, he's shown me he can make all the throws. Sure, he's talented. Sure, he's shown that he can play at a high level. But right now, today, I think Doug Peterson is a better head coach compared to Carson Wentz being a better quarterback. I think that Doug Peterson ranks higher at his position than Carson Wentz ranks at his. And I think that Doug Peterson, actually, I don't even think, it's not even for debate, Doug Peterson is more accomplished at his job than Carson Wentz. That's the reality. And Jalen Hurts, it seems like he can only get better and better, and I think Carson Wentz has regressed. And whether I believe in Carson Wentz or not, I don't think it even matters because I don't see Carson Wentz returning to Philadelphia. Not only was Carson Wentz replaced once by a quarterback and the team seemed to flourish without him, but this is now twice. The team seemed to play better around Nick Foles, and now they're playing better under the the fire that Jalen Hurts has lit. And in reality, I think Carson Wentz's time in Philadelphia is pretty much almost done. I don't see Carson Wentz being a Philadelphia Eagle at the start of next season. If he is, I don't think the I don't think the situation is salvageable. You know, I don't I don't see any way in which he well he could earn the starting job over Jalen Hurts, but the odds are stacked against him. It seems like the locker room captivates more towards Jalen Hurts as opposed to Carson Wentz. And just I just always wonder, Carson Wentz, he's this really big, strong arm quarterback that can move, that's mobile, he's got all the talent, all the skills. But why are guys like Nick Foles and Jalen Hurts, who have less talent than Carson Wentz, able to win more big games and galvanize the troops better than Carson Wentz? It leaves a lot of questions to be desired. So, in reality, I don't see Carson Wentz returning to Philadelphia next year. And at some point, I think the Carson Wentz era in Philadelphia is going to come to an end sooner rather than later. I want to address Howie Roseman, the Philadelphia Eagles general manager. Because right now, today, Howie Roseman is arguably the most overrated general manager in the entire NFL. And look, I got I got to eat some crow today. I definitely do. Because in the past, I've bigged up Howie Roseman. I've said, Howie Roseman, he's great. He's great. He's one of the best GMs in all football. When, in reality, I was flat out wrong about Howie Roseman. And I think Howie Roseman is an overrated general manager. I know, I know what probably some of you are going to say out there. Oh, but Jamon, he's won a Super Bowl. Guess what? John Elway, as a NFL general manager, has won a Super Bowl. He won a Super Bowl. And how's he doing today? Denver Broncos fans aren't too fond about John Elway because he can't seem to get the quarterback right outside of Peyton Manning. And if you look at John Elway in his career, As an NFL general manager, his team under 
his under his watch as NFL general manager has a better record than Howie Roseman's team. John Elway has won 56% of his games as an NFL general manager. Howie Roseman is at 52%. And I thought to myself, if I take Howie Roseman's Super Bowl away from him, if I take that season away, what what does Howie Roseman have to show for as the Philadelphia Eagles general manager? Do you know what he has to show for it? A below 500 record the nine years prior. If you take that Super Bowl away from Howie Roseman, if you take that 13-3 and season away, if you take that ring away, the Philadelphia Eagles are a below 500 ball club under Howie Roseman's watch. They are. Go look it up. 78 wins, 80 losses during a nine-year stretch if you take away the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl. And right now, this team is a complete mess in Philadelphia. This is not a Super Bowl caliber roster. Not even close. Not even close. The Philadelphia Eagles, they're not sniffing a Super Bowl anytime soon. Right now, today, Green Bay is better. New Orleans is better. The entire NFC West is better. So that's four teams. Washington's better. The Giants are better. The Cowboys are more talented. You can make the argument that Carolina Panthers are a better football team today than the Philadelphia Eagles. It's sad. It's pathetic. This offensive line stinks. The wide receiver core stinks. The defense is old and aging. The quarterback situation is a mess. And it's it's pretty clear to me that Howie Roseman has been overrated as an NFL general manager. And let's look at the last five drafts from Howie Roseman because I examined all the picks. I've watched these games. I know who contributes to Philadelphia. I did some research, and I could find seven key impactful players from the past five drafts that Howie Roseman has put his name to. So in the last five years, Howie Roseman has drafted seven players that are contributing to the Philadelphia Eagles winning right now. Carson Wentz, Derry Barnett, Sidney Jones, Dallas Goddard, Josh Sweat, Miles Sanders, and Jalen Hurts. And you can make the argument that Sidney Jones, Dallas Goddard, and Josh Sweat are just marginal players. Dallas Goddard, he could be a starting tight end on some teams, but he's the backup tight end in Philadelphia. Sidney Jones is an average defensive back, and Josh Sweat, he's a nice player, but he can be replaced. And Carson Wentz, he might not even be on the team next year. That contract is awful. It's impossible for the Philadelphia Eagles to move on from Carson Wentz's contract unless they trade him. And if they trade him, they got to eat a whole bunch of salary cap because they they overpaid for Carson Wentz and they paid the guy too early. And now the guy has regressed and he's no longer a great quarterback. Miles Sanders is pretty good. And Jalen Hurts, we'll see what the future holds. I think that he can become a franchise quarterback, but we'll see. Howie Roseman has not done a great job the last five, five or so, four to five years as the Philadelphia Eagles general manager. Sure, the Philadelphia Eagles have won a Super Bowl, but if you take that Super Bowl away, Howie Roseman 
is an average NFL general manager. The metrics show it. His rec the record shows it. The players, the pride the, that he puts out in the field, it shows. And everyone talks about, oh, Carson Wentz, he deserves all the blame. Doug Peterson, he deserves all the blame. How about we take into account the fact that Howie Roseman has put together not a good enough roster to compete to win the worst division in all football. The Philadelphia Eagles are the worst team today, as I speak right now, in the worst division in all football. And it's sad, it's pathetic, and Howie Roseman is to blame. I believe Howie Roseman, as of right now today, is the most overrated NFL general manager in the entire NFL. Is John Elway a better general manager right now today than Howie Roseman? I think that's a question we all need to answer because as far as I'm concerned, Howie Roseman, he's not a top-tier GM. He deserves to be in the conversation with the John Elways of the world. And even John Elway is getting a whole bunch of pushback as we speak today. I want to now talk about the current state of the San Francisco 49ers, and I specifically want to dive into their quarterback situation. So, obviously the San Francisco 49ers last year, um, in 2019, made a run to the Super Bowl. They got to the Super Bowl. They faced the Kansas City Chiefs. They had a big lead in the game. Not necessarily a big lead, but a 10-point lead. And the Kansas City Chiefs, they came back. They won the football game. The 49ers blew it, and they missed out on their Super Bowl opportunity. And... This year in 2020, I thought the 49ers would be a playoff team. I was clearly wrong because they're not a playoff team right now. But I'm not too upset over the fact that I'm wrong just because the 49ers, they've had to deal with a ton of injuries all year. They've had injuries to their offensive line, their wide receiver core, their entire defensive line. You know, star player Nick Boza has been out pretty much for the entire season. Um, they just had to deal with a whole lot of injuries. Their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, the best quarterback on their roster, the guy that led them to the Super Bowl last year as the starting quarterback, he has missed significant time due to injury. It's been a mess for the 49ers. I thought the 49ers, if they stayed healthy, they could be about a 10-win team this year. A little bit of a Super Bowl hangover, but they'd be a talented enough roster to get into the playoffs and make some noise, potentially. If they got there, well, that's not the case, and... I'm confident the 49ers can reload next year and make some noise in the playoffs. However, I have one big-time question. Are they good enough at the quarterback position? Because, folks, I'm not a big Jimmy Garoppolo fan. I'm just not. Um, is Jimmy Garoppolo a bum? Obviously not. Jimmy Garoppolo is a good starting quarterback, and he's proven. He can get you to a Super Bowl. But my question is, can Jimmy Garoppolo elevate under pressure? And can he win the 49ers of Super Bowl? It's, it's one thing to get there. It's a whole nother animal to be in the moment and actually elevate under pressure and win a Super Bowl. Okay? And I'm not sure if Jimmy Garoppolo can do it, man. Jimmy Garoppolo, to me, is nothing more than an average starting quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is not a franchise quarterback. He's a good starting quarterback, not a franchise quarterback. And I've said in the past, there's a difference between a franchise quarterback and a starting quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater is a starting quarterback. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, they're your franchise quarterbacks. Even guys like, um, I don't know, Justin Herbert. 
Justin Herbert, to me, is pretty obvious to me. He's a franchise quarterback because his talent warrants being a franchise quarterback. Joe Burrow, same thing with him. Jimmy Garoppolo, not a franchise quarterback to me. And I kind of draw the line of who's a franchise quarterback or not after I get to the 16th to 18th best quarterback in football because at some point, you just have, you just have to draw a line and say, yeah, this is the benchmark for a franchise quarterback because I'm sorry, but it's very hard to win a Super Bowl with the 30th best quarterback in the NFL, you know? You could say, oh, Mitchell Trubisky is a franchise quarterback. Well, yes, he's leading a franchise, but do you want Mitchell Trubisky to be your long-term guy for the next 10 years where you're going to pay him a bunch of money? And are you confident every single year Mitchell Trubisky is going to put a great pride on the field? That's kind of how I feel about a franchise quarterback. And I don't, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is one of those guys. Why do I say that? For one, he can't stay healthy. Jimmy Garoppolo, from the day he's gotten to the NFL as a starter, has had multiple injuries. You know, he's been banged up constantly. He's he's tough. He'll play through some injuries. But I'm sorry, but if you're not available to consistently play on the field Sunday after Sunday, if you're not durable, I have questions about you as an NFL quarterback. Because I look at guys like even... Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Big Ben, Matthew Stafford. Those guys have been banged up in the past. You want to know why I consider them franchise quarterbacks? I consider them franchise quarterbacks because the talent is there. Their talent's off the charts. Big Ben, he throws one of the best footballs in the entire NFL. He's got a strong arm. Matthew Stafford, cannon for an arm. Patrick Mahomes, cannon for an arm. Deshaun Watson, super freaky athletic guy. He's pretty accurate too. Aaron Rodgers, he can do it all. I can deal with some injuries if your talent warrants me paying you $30 million. You know, I, I, I don't care if Aaron Rodgers has a banged up shoulder every now and then. When that guy's on the field, I don't have a chance to win the Super Bowl. Same thing can be said for Big Ben. Same thing can be said for Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. And even even a guy like Matthew Stafford, I think Matthew Stafford's criminally underrated. And I ask you all this question. What is so special about Jimmy Garoppolo? Because when I look at Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't see a guy that's as athletic as Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson. I don't see a guy that has as strong of an arm as Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Matthew Stafford. I don't see a guy that's as big as a Ben Roethlisberger or a Justin Herbert where they can just shrug off defenders and evade pressure like that, you know. I don't see that. I don't see a guy that's as precise and as smart and as surgical as Philip Rivers, Tom Brady, or Drew Brees. And to be quite frankly honest with you, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo has even the charisma of a Baker Mayfield. Folks, I just named you 14 quarterbacks that have more special sauce than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I didn't even get to guys like Jared Goff and Matt Ryan who have been to Super Bowls. I didn't even get to Dak Prescott. I didn't even get to Derek Carr. I didn't even get to Joe Burrow. I didn't even get to Ryan Tannehill. I didn't even get to Carson Wentz, who's having a down year. But when Carson Wentz is on his A game, he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. I'll tell you that much. Folks, Jimmy Garoppolo 
is nothing more than an average starting quarterback. And my fear is that if he's the guy going forward, I don't know if he's going to stay healthy. And to be quite frankly honest with you, in a division with Jared Goff, Kyler Murray, and Russell Wilson, the 49ers, they've got the fourth best signal caller. And I don't even think the 49ers are ever going to quite be as talented as they were when they got to the Super Bowl and lost to Kansas City. Jimmy Garoppolo literally had everything around him to succeed. He had an elite tight end in George Kittle, who went healthy, he's really, really good. He had a great wide receiver core. He had a great offensive line, a great set of running backs, a really good defense. Kyle Shanahan calling the plays. And Jimmy Garoppolo was not good enough. He shrunk under pressure. And that's my fear for the 49ers. My fear is they're going to bring Jimmy Garoppolo back because they like the guy. They think he's the best option on the team. But in reality, they could use an upgrade. They could use a guy like Justin Fields or a Zach Wilson or a Trey Lance who has some upside. They could maybe use a guy like Matthew Stafford or Matt Ryan who's worked with Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan in the past and gotten to a Super Bowl and won league MVP. The 49ers could use an upgrade at quarterback eventually. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's a guy going forward. He's not a guy I would invest in. I think Jimmy Garoppolo's good. I think he's fine. But I think the 49ers have reached their ceiling with Jimmy Garoppolo. I understand it's only been one year in which he got to a Super Bowl. You know, he had, that was his first full season as a starter. But, I mean, we talked about Aaron Rodgers earlier in the show. Aaron Rodgers, it's been nearly a decade since he's gotten to a Super Bowl. People forget. It was, it was a decade where Tom Brady did not win a Super Bowl. It's been over a decade since Drew Brees has won a Super Bowl. Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. He's one of the five most talented quarterback, quarterbacks of all time. So that's where I land on Jimmy Garoppolo and the San Francisco 49ers. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is nothing, nothing more than an average quarterback. And if I'm the 49ers, I would look to upgrade at the most important position for the future. I now want to talk about Josh Rosen because I brought the 49ers just a couple of seconds ago. Um, so Josh Rosen is now a part of the San Francisco 49ers practice squad. Now, for those of you that don't know who Josh Rosen is, he's a quarterback that was a star in high school. He was a star quarterback in high school. He was a big-time recruit. He chose to go, to go play college football at UCLA. He put up great numbers at, US, at UCLA as a quarterback. He was one of the top prospects at the quarterback position during the 2018 NFL Draft, and he got selected in the top 10 of that draft. Um, sure, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen went ahead of him, but the Arizona Cardinals, they decided to trade up and go get Josh Rosen. He was the fourth quarterback taken on that day. Um, but yeah, he, he got an opportunity to be the guy in Arizona. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't turn out so well. They moved on from Josh Rosen after one season. He was not very good. The team around him was not very good, but they saw an opportunity to draft Kyler Murray and bring in Cliff Kingsbury. And they said, hey, we're going to ditch Josh Rosen a year after we drafted him. We don't care that we trade up for him. We're going to trade him to the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins get a second round pick for Josh Rosen. Um, so actually a lot of draft compensation for a quarterback that just got dumped by a team. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say so. And 
Josh Rosen failed in Miami. He got beat up by Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick outplayed him. The team seemed to be more galvanized behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, it did not work out in Miami for Josh Rosen. He goes and signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers practice squad this year, and now he's agreed to be on the 49ers practice squad. And listen, I don't know if Josh Rosen's going to be a part of the San Francisco 49ers organization for the next year or the next, you know, five years, ten years. I don't know. I don't know what his future holds, but I will say right now he's by far the third best quarterback on that depth chart. Right now you got Jimmy Garoppolo. He's better. Nick Mullins, one of the best backup quarterbacks in the entire NFL. He's better. So Josh Rosen right now is the third best quarterback on the 49ers roster. But I will say, if anyone can turn around Josh Rosen as an NFL quarterback and get his career jump-started, it would be Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan, he's an excellent offensive mind. He's he's had success with multiple quarterbacks. He's excellent. He's an offensive guru. I could maybe see Kyle Shanahan fixing Jimmy Garoppolo. But here's the thing, people. Um, I consider Josh Rosen to be an NFL bust simply because he not only failed with the with the team that drafted him, but he failed with a second team. He failed in Miami. People say he wasn't given a fair chance. No, Josh Rosen was given two opportunities on two different teams to be a long-term franchise quarterback, and he blew it, okay? He didn't take advantage of those, of, of those opportunities. So I consider Josh Rosen to be a bust, and right now I do not believe in Josh Rosen as a long-term franchise quarterback. I don't believe in him. I don't take any pleasure in saying that. I I wish all quarterbacks can go out there and succeed. You know, I come on here and criticize players and coaches and teams. Listen, I hate being the bad guy, but I take pride in being brutally honest with you people. And I don't see it with Josh Rosen. Why do I believe Josh Rosen is not capable of becoming a long-term franchise quarterback? Well, I'll tell you why. First of all, I don't think Josh Rosen has the skill set necessary to consistently become a high-level starting quarterback. I just don't see it. Um, Josh Rosen, up to this point in his career, through 20 games, has completed 54.8% of his throws. He's thrown 12 touchdowns to 19 interceptions. And look, I'm not a big stats guy. I'm more about the eye test and what are your traits. But listen, people, the bottom line is, listen, you can blame the offensive line. You can blame the lack of weapons. I don't care what you do. The bottom line is Josh Rosen has been bad. He's been god-awful. And a lot of you people out there give Dwayne Haskins a lot of smoke and a lot of criticism, and for good reason at times. But if you compare Dwayne Haskins' numbers to Josh Rosen, Dwayne Haskins is by far and away better than Josh Rosen. And that's saying a lot because Dwayne Haskins, he's been a massive failure for the Washington football team. He recently just got cut. I'm rooting for Dwayne Haskins, but he's got a lot of things to overcome. But what do I see in Josh Rosen? What skill sets do I see from Josh Rosen? I see a guy with an average NFL arm. I don't see a guy that can that can consistently fit the ball in the tight windows. 
He's slow to process at times. He's bad versus pressure. Like, when you blitz Josh Rosen, I mean, he's going to tap out. He's done for. He's not good versus the blitz. He's not good versus pressure. Not good with a messy pocket. He needs a clean pocket to really be a successful quarterback. And in the NFL, if you can't deal with a messy pocket consistently, you're just not going to be very good. And he's not very mobile. He's not capable of escaping pressure. And you need a lot around Josh Rosen for him to succeed. And even if if even if Josh Rosen is given a great roster, there's still a there's still a very low ceiling when it comes to Josh Rosen's upside. And keep in mind, people, Kyler Murray, with the same offensive line and same set of weapons as Josh Rosen, won rookie of the year and balled out. Kyler Murray He's developed into a top 10 quarterback as I speak today. And that's an indictment on Josh Rosen because Kyler Murray, he was only a one-year starter in college. Josh Rosen started multiple years at UCLA. You would think that he'd be more prepared for the NFL level, and that just wasn't the case. I always kind of felt that Josh Rosen was a little bit overrated as a prospect. You know, people talked about, oh, look at Josh Rosen. He's a generational talent. He throws a beautiful football. and I just didn't see it. I really didn't. I was actually on board with the Cardinals selecting Kyler Murray over Josh Rosen. I felt that Kyler Murray would be a much better quarterback than Josh Rosen. I've been proven right so far. Um, and listen, people, here's another harsh reality about Josh Rosen. And again, I don't know the guy personally. So again, I'm somewhat making an assumption right here. But based on the things that I've read and based on the things that I've seen, and based on the observations that I've, you know, come across when evaluating Josh Rosen, I don't think Josh Rosen has the intangibles or the leadership qualities to become an NFL franchise quarterback. Now, let me be very clear. I could totally be wrong about that because Josh Rosen, he very well could be a changed man from his time in Miami, and with the Cardinals. And listen, I'm never, I'm not, I'm not saying Josh Rosen's a bad guy, but the knocks on Josh Rosen coming out of UCLA was he's not the most vocal guy, not the greatest leader. He kind of rubs people the wrong way. And there were questions about his intangibles and his love for the game of football. And think about what happened in Arizona. Josh Rosen was such a bad quarterback, lacked the intangible so much to a point where the Arizona Cardinals did not even give the guy a second chance. They said, nope, we want to draft Kyler Murray, a baseball player, okay? Because Kyler Murray, he was, you know, thinking about playing baseball before he, you know, decided to go full-time with football, you know? And keep in mind, the Miami Dolphins traded a second-round pick for Josh Rosen. What does that mean? That means they didn't just throw in a seventh or a sixth round pick for Josh Rosen. No, you don't just go throwing out second round picks to trade for quarterbacks. The Miami Dolphins, they had mutual interest in Josh Rosen. It was pretty clear to me based on the fact that they were willing to give up a second round pick to bring in Josh Rosen. 
that they felt the guy could become a special quarterback one day. And it took the Miami Dolphins three starts to realize Josh Rosen don't got it. He doesn't have the intangibles. He doesn't have the leadership qualities. He does not have the physical skills to be our learned, our long-term franchise quarterback. He just doesn't have it. They benched him for Ryan Fitzpatrick. He, he got beat out by Ryan Fitzpatrick. And we've seen two NFL franchises move on from Josh Rosen and draft quarterbacks in the top five the very next year. We saw with Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals, and we've seen it this year with Tua Tungavailoa and the Miami Dolphins. That's almost a death sentence. You got you got benched, well, not benched because he didn't get benched in Arizona, but two NFL franchises bailed on you, two NFL franchises, after not even you starting 16 games for them, said, nope, we'll pass on Josh Rosen. That's almost a death sentence, people. And in the short time that I watched Ryan Fitzpatrick play in Miami, when Josh Rosen was on the roster, I noticed that Ryan Fitzpatrick seemed to galvanize the troops around him better than Josh Rosen. That's the harsh reality. Because you can see leadership on your TV screen. You see Tom Brady. He's fired up on the sideline. You see Peyton Manning. He's fired up on the sideline. You see Aaron Rodgers. Even at times, he's fired up on the sideline. You see Drew Brees. He's a natural-born leader. Even guys like Jameis Winston who aren't very good, you see the leadership intangibles. Josh Rosen, I just see a timid guy that just hasn't found his way as far as knowing how to lead an NFL franchise and galvanize the troops around him. And listen, he's just not a good quarterback. He's not very talented. He was overrated coming out of LSU. Not LSU. He was overrated coming out of UCLA. And I don't think Josh Rosen, flat out, is that good. He's just not that good. So those are all the reasons as to why I do not believe in Josh Rosen as a long-term franchise quarterback. I'm out on Josh Rosen, and I have been for a pretty long time. I'm just not admitting it, okay? Okay, I want to talk about Tua Tungabailoa. After I talk about Tua, we'll get to some college football playoff predictions, then we'll end the show. But let's talk about Tua. Um, Look, I don't believe in Tua Tungabailoa, and what do I mean by that? I'm not saying Tua's not a good quarterback. Tua is a good quarterback, but he's nothing more than average. I don't see Tua Tungabailoa ever leading a team to a Super Bowl. I just don't see it. I don't think Tua has the special sauce, and I don't think Tua has the physical skills to become a great quarterback. And I've seen eight games with Tua Tungabailoa. He's been put into a good situation. So if that's the case, I don't need to curve the grade for a Matthew Stafford. I don't need to curve the grade for a Dwayne Haskins or a Josh Rosen. No, Tua, he's been put into a great situation to succeed. I can just evaluate him right out the gate. I don't need to curve the grade. I don't need to think, oh, if this team puts more around Tua, if this team does this for Tua, no. This Miami Dolphins team is very good. I can evaluate Tua Tungabailoa. And what do I see from Tua Tungabailoa 
eight games into his NFL career. Eight games as a starter. I see a game-managing quarterback with an average arm, and I believe Brian Flores knows that's the case as well. Brian Flores knows that Tua Tungabaloa has an average arm and that he's a game manager, whether he wants to admit it or not. And I don't want to hear about Tua's stats. I don't want to hear about Tua's win-loss record. I could give less than two rips about those two things. I don't care about stats. I don't care about the win-loss record. You know what I care about? I care about the eye test, and I care about traits. I care about when I, when I evaluate quarterbacks, this is what I care about. I care about these things. How strong is your arm? Are you accurate? Do you have the requisite size? Can you carry a team when things are going bad? Do you need a lot around you? Are you, are you able to elevate under pressure? Are you able to elevate your team? Can you carry a bad roster? Do you have that it factor? And Tua, I look at I look at him and I say, he's pretty accurate. But guess what? That's about it. And you can say the same thing about Kirk Cousins. He's pretty accurate. Kirk Cousins, first career, has completed 67% of his throws. That's really, really good. And Teddy Bridgewater, you can say the same thing about Teddy Bridgewater. He's pretty accurate. 66.6% completion percentage. And one thing for sure about Tua is he's pretty darn accurate. I'm not going to lie. Tua's got some accuracy. However, that's about it. And if you're just a fairly accurate quarterback and you really bring nothing else special to the table, I don't think you're a long-term franchise quarterback. And folks, this past week, Tua Tungavailoa was benched for the second time this season. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, this past Sunday, versus the Las Vegas Raiders on the road, outperformed Tua Tungavailoa. And it is pretty clear to me that Ryan Fitzpatrick right now today gives the Miami Dolphins the best chance to win. Now, whether the Dolphins want to roll out Tua or not, if they make the playoffs, that's up to them. But I don't see it with Tua. I just don't. Here's my problem with Tua Tungabaloa. His inability to consistently push the football down the field and to beat teams vertically is a problem. His inability and unwillingness to take risks and shots down the field is hurting the, this Miami Dolphins team. His inability to consistently fit the ball into tight windows, it is hurting this Miami Dolphins team. And I labeled Tua Tungabailoa a game manager earlier on when I talked about him, okay? And what do I what what do I mean by a game manager? When I think about a game manager as a quarterback, I think of a quarterback that can succeed and win a lot of games. When things are on script, when the protection's great, when the wide receivers are wide open, I believe those types of quarterbacks can win a lot of games. And I put Tua into that category. Tua's not a bad quarterback. Tua is a good, solid starting quarterback. But that's about it. And folks, the NFL is all about being comfortable when you're uncomfortable. And the minute Tua Tangamaloa has faced somewhat of a pass rush, 
The minute he faced the Broncos' pass rushes struggled. The minute things got tight and off script in the Las Vegas Raiders game, the Miami Dolphins coaching staff said, we do not believe Tua Tagovailoa gives us the best chance to win. And Brian Flores pulled him. And listen, deep down, I think Brian Flores sees Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Jalen Hurts out there balling and carrying teams. Meanwhile, he has Tua Tagovailoa, and he has a great roster. And Tua, he's just managing the game. He's not providing anything extra. He's not throwing the football down the field consistently. He's not making the throws that Justin Herbert's making. He's not making the throws that Joe Burrow's making. He's not being as dynamic off script as Jalen Hurts. Hey, did you see the deep ball that Jalen Hurts threw versus the Dallas Cowboys? I haven't seen Tua Tucker below complete a ball like that all season. I haven't even seen Tua willing to take those shots. Whether to, here's why I see in Tua Tagovailoa. Either Tua Tagovailoa is incapable of pushing the football down the field consistently, or he knows he can't do it. Because for whatever reason, the guy is just comfortable being a check down Charlie. He's check down Charlie, check down, check down, short pass, short pass. I'm going to try to just be a chain mover, but no big plays. Do you folks know? That right now, Tua Tagovailoa averages less yards per pass than Aaron Jones averages yards per rush. That's a huge indictment on Tua Tagovailoa. Okay, and all you Dolphins fans are telling me, "Oh, the wide receivers are no good. We need to put more around Tua Tagovailoa." The offensive line sucks. I never hear that conversation when Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting games for the Miami Dolphins. You want to know why? Because right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick gives them the best chance to win. Right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick has a better arm than Tua Tagovailoa. Right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick can make throws down the field that Tua Tagovailoa simply cannot make. And quite frankly, if he can't make them right now, what makes you think that he can make them down the road? Okay? You'll just magically get super duper stronger as a quarterback. Usually when you come into the NFL, you kind of what are what you are. And yes, you can get better as, as far as reading defenses. You can lose weight. You can get a little bit stronger. But for the most part, if you're a quarterback that in college has sort of an average arm, you don't magically come you don't magically come to the NFL and have a cannon for an arm. It just doesn't happen. And the fact of the matter is Tua Tungamaloa he was super overrated as a prospect coming out of Alabama. I felt he was a good prospect, but everyone kept saying, oh, if Tua was fully healthy, he'd be the number one overall pick over Joe Burrow. Listen, if the Cincinnati Bengals selected, selected Tua Tagovailoa with the number one overall pick, that franchise would be in a bad state. That franchise would be in a terrible state because Tua Tagovailoa, he just, he's just not that guy. Tua Tagovailoa needs a lot around him to succeed. And even if you put a great roster around Tua, are we sure he's good enough to carry the Miami Dolphins over the top? You know, let me just say this. So far, I'm going to say let's just wait and see. Because Tua, he is a rookie. He is still learning on the fly. But as I speak today, if I were to project, I'm going to say no. 
because I just don't see the physical skill set that screams franchise quarterback. And listen, there are only so many Tom Brady's and Drew Brees is out there. Okay, Tom Brady and Drew Brees are the exceptions of the rule. Okay, they've never had the greatest arms, but I don't know. There's just something special about Tom Brady and Drew Brees that I just don't see in Tua Tagovailoa. So in reality, people, listen, this might be a hot take, but if the Miami Dolphins find themselves staring at Justin Fields, staring at Zach Wilson, staring at a guy like Trey Lance, I would seriously consider drafting another quarterback, especially if it's Justin Fields, because I just don't think Tua is that guy. And you saw with the Arizona Cardinals, you know, they said, hey, we don't want to sell for average. Josh Rosen, he can maybe become a good quarterback one day, but Kyler Murray, we see a generational talent. And I'm sorry, folks, but Justin Fields, He's a better prospect than Tua Tagovailoa, and that should not be up for debate. I understand Tua. He won a national title. He won a lot of games at Alabama. I get it, but we watched Justin Fields play. He's got a better arm than Tua Tagovailoa. He's a better athlete than Tua Tagovailoa. He has a higher ceiling than Tua, okay? So, Miami, listen, with that Houston Texans pick, if you're staring at a quarterback, you might need to take someone because... You're going to continue to get better and better as a football team, right? You may never be in position to right the wrong at quarterback in regards to Tua Tungamailoa. You may never be in that position again. So, look, do I expect the Miami Dolphins to move on from Tua? No. And quite frankly, that's not a terrible choice because I do think Tua has a chance to win the Miami Dolphins a lot of games. I just don't ever think Tua is going to get the Miami Dolphins over the hump. And in reality, Tua Tungabaloa is an average quarterback that's a game manager. He's got an average arm. And deep down, I know for a fact that Brian Flores and that coaching staff knows it, whether they want to admit it or not. Okay, so number one Alabama is going to be facing number four Notre Dame during the 2021 Rose Bowl. This is a college football playoff semifinal matchup. Whoever wins this game gets a chance to compete for the national championship versus either Clemson or Ohio State. And I'm going to pick Alabama to win this game. Um, Alabama, to me, is the most talented team in the country. Mac Jones is having a great season. He's definitely rising up draft boards day by day. Um, Najee Harris. I thought Najee Harris should have been in some consideration. He should have gotten some consideration for the Heisman Trophy. He's excellent. Um, unfortunately, he didn't get very many votes. He's not a finalist. Devontae Smith, he's arguably the best wide receiver in the entire nation. Actually, he is. You know, if you take away Jamar Chase, arguably Jamar Chase didn't play this year. But, yeah, Devontae Smith, he's excellent. Um, Alabama's got a great offensive line, a great wide receiver core. Nick Saban's a great head coach. He's the greatest head coach in college football history, and Alabama, they're locked and loaded. And look, Notre Dame's a good team, but it just comes down to the fact that Alabama has better players. And the biggest knock on Notre Dame that has been a fair knock over the past, you know, decade or so is, do they always have enough four- and five-star guys to compete 
with the Ohio States, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, the Georgias of the world. And look, I think Notre Dame will make this game close for about two and a half, maybe three quarters. But eventually, I just think Notre Dame is going to be overwhelmed. I'm going to pick Alabama to win this game by about 14 points. I think that I think Alabama can win the game by double digits. Um, they can win the game by double by by two scores. I'll say Alabama wins the game probably by about 14 points. Look, I think Ian Book's a good quarterback, but the thing I will say is Alabama's defense can be had. We've seen them struggle versus Ole Miss. We've seen Georgia be able to move the football versus Alabama. We saw Florida be able to put up points, but I just don't think Notre Dame's offense is explosive enough to compete with Alabama. You know, and I just think that, look, I saw Notre Dame play Clemson the other day. The game was not particularly close, and I can make the argument that Alabama this year is more talented than Clemson. So, look, I I respect for Brian Kelly. I respect for Ian Book and the Notre Dame program. They've got some good players. I think Notre Dame will make the game close. They'll come out. They'll be ready to play. But eventually, as time goes on, as the game weighs on throughout, I just think Alabama's going to pull away late, and they'll win by about two scores. I have Alabama defeating Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl in 2021 to advance to the national title game to face either Clemson or Ohio State. Now, up next, a very intriguing matchup between number two Clemson and number one Ohio State. Now, for those of you that have been following the show for a good while, you guys know my pick to win the national title this year was the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with Ohio State to win the national title this year. And I believe in a rematch from last season, I believe Ryan Day and Justin Fields and the Ohio State Buckeyes will make a statement and they will knock off Trevor Lawrence, Dabble Sweeney, and the Clemson Tigers. And here's the thing, people. Last year, Ohio State, to me, was better than Clemson. But, unfortunately, Ohio State, they just did not execute well enough down the stretch. They got outcoached. Clemson executed better down the stretch. And, in reality, Justin Fields didn't have his best stuff versus Clemson. And there was also some officiating breaks that went Clemson's way. I'm not going to be the bad guy that says, the officials robbed Ohio State. When, in reality, Ohio State, they had an opportunity to win the game despite the bad officiating. But, I think this year... Ohio State will get their revenge. Dabble Sweeney, he's been talking greasy. He's been poking Ohio State in the ribs. He 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 in his recent poll in which he voted for who should be, you know, in the college football playoffs in his coaches poll, he didn't even he didn't even have Ohio State as a top ten team. And that's just flat out ridiculous. I think that Ryan Day, Justin Fields, and the Ohio State Buckeyes will be super motivated. I actually do think Ohio State is the better team. I think Clemson's a deeper team, but I think that Ohio State, if you look at just their starters, they have a better team than Clemson this year. And I think that Clemson's gonna I think Clemson's gonna take the L. Now, this is a big game for Justin Fields. Justin Fields is regarded by most as the next guy after Trevor Lawrence. 
in the 2021 NFL Draft, assuming he comes out after this college football season. Now, some people have talked about Zach Wilson. Some people have talked about Trey Lance. For my money, I think Justin Fields, at worst, is the second-best college quarterback prospect heading into the 2021 NFL Draft. And listen, this is a big game for Justin Fields because he did not play very well versus Indiana. And he did not play particularly well versus Northwestern. However, I think Justin Fields is due for his signature game as an Ohio State Buckeye. He's had some very good games. He's had some great moments. But doesn't have that signature win where he's played great and the opponent has been really high quality. Sure, he beat Wisconsin last year. Sure, he beat Penn State last year. But I think then the Wisconsin game, he was good but not great. And I think that last year Penn State was a worthy opponent as far as a good quality team. But they're not Clemson. They're not Alabama. And quite frankly, they're, they've got some NFL players, but that's not an NFL caliber defense. Now, I will say Clemson and Ohio State's defense, th- their defenses are good, but they're not great. And I do worry about Ohio State's back end of their secondary. The secondary definitely worries me, especially facing a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. But I think Justin Fields, with his ability to run the football and throw the ball down the field with those good wide receivers, and also a guy like Trey Sermon, who had a monster game versus Northwestern. I think that due to Ohio State's ability to run the football and due to Justin Fields being able to make all the throws, I think they're going to chew the clock. I I think they're going to keep Trevor Lawrence off the field. And I believe Ohio State's defense will make a play or two against Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson offense that Clemson's defense doesn't make versus Justin Fields and the Ohio State Buckeyes offense. So I'm going to roll with Justin Fields from the crew. I think Justin Fields is going, to have a, is going to actually outplay Trevor Lawrence. I believe this is going to be a statement game by Justin Fields. I think that he realizes his draft stock could be slipping if he has another bad game versus a, versus a quality opponent. And I have Ryan Day and the Ohio State Buckeyes getting revenge versus Clemson. I think that Ohio State will win the game by about four points. I think that it will be tight for a good while, but I think Ohio State will pull away. I think Justin Fields will win the game late versus Clemson. That's my prediction. I believe the Ohio State Buckeyes in the 2021 Sugar Bowl in the college football playoff semifinal game will beat the Clemson Tigers, and they will face Alabama in the national championship game in 2021. Well, folks, That's pretty much all I have today. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Have a God-blessed day, everyone. And I'm Ghost. Thank you so much for watching this video today. Please also note that the Juice Alert Sports Podcast is not just a YouTube channel. It is available on all podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed this video, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share this content with all your friends. This podcast is my favorite thing in the entire world right now. It is my passion. I want more people to listen to this podcast. I really want this podcast to grow. 
Also, a fun fact about me is that I want to go into the sports broadcasting and media world once I graduate from the University of Toledo, a college in Northern Ohio. I am looking to become one of the next great sports broadcasters and analysts out in the world. And I potentially would like to start my own network if this podcast really truly grows. Or if I fall short of that goal, I would love to work for a big time network like ESPN or Fox Sports 1. I am open to all networks. So if you believe in my dreams and you see or hear my passion through the screen, be sure to tell all your friends about the Juice Lurt Sports Podcast. Stay motivated, you guys. Have a God-blessed day, and I'm out.